Are you ready? Three, two, one. Uh, what was Action. the question? What was the question? <laughs> what was the question? Right, uh, take 27. Okay, what was the question? You gotta snap it first so I mark the audio. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I think what also sticks out with me when I think about Badwater is at the end, you have people who were successful in completing the race and who weren't. They are all there. They're all there to support. Um, you know, we actually, the race director acknowledges the people that didn't finish and they're receiving applause. They're receiving ovations, standing ovations, because we know that the effort that they did should be an impossible effort, that what they attempted to do was not easy and, and to be completely honest, should not be able to be done by anybody. So to have the courage to get to the start line and to go after it um, is noteworthy. And, you know, everyone is a hero. Everyone is together. And I think that that's what the ultra community understands is that whether you're first, whether you're last, whether you finish, whether you don't, we're a family, we're gonna take care of each other and we're all in this together. Hi, my name's Aaron Gonzalez, and you're listening to the Training for Ultra podcast. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So if you do what you do, it, man, keep inspiring. For all you kids out there. Stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Welcome to episode 197 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have an awesome episode, really inspirational story. Aaron Gonzalez, someone that I met out at Badwater through mutual friends, Dion and Lucia Leonard. So I'm not going to summarize it here. We have a longer form episode. We're going to dive deep and Aaron's story is super inspirational. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Aaron, it's been a while. I'm so glad that we finally synced up calendars. I know you're super busy right now. And truly having crude and paced bad water with you. We've stayed in the same hotel room when it's 120 degrees outside. Like, I feel like we have a common bond forever after that experience. You know, welcome, welcome to my podcast. Really excited to share some of your story with the listener today. Happy to be on it. Thank you for, for having me. So I heard that this is your first podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, it might show, um, but yes, it is. I'm I'm seriously excited to share some of your story. Like I, I was just totally blown away and we've 
we've uh, gone through not quite war, but uh, crewing and pacing Badwater was uh, a heck of an experience. I mean, just starting off tonight, like where, where are you joining us from? Yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas. Not quite as hot as uh, Death Valley, but um, pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, you you have everyone on the team had that heat experience. That I mean, it was a rookie team at Badwater. We were crewing and pacing Dion Leonard. Lucia, our, our good friend, was uh, kind of crew captain. It was an experience, right? Yeah, uh, an unforgettable one. Um, definitely, you know, a few years back when I started this whole thing, hearing about that race in particular and then being able to help out a runner like Dion. Um, yeah, it's something that's going to stick with me for a while. But yeah, as you were mentioning, a lot of uh amazing highs and a lot of terrible lows that we all got to together so yeah it was really cool to kind of come out of it and see see Dion succeed in that so I mean Lucia and Dion call you the what is it the Texas tornado the Texas tornado yeah. where, where did that originate are you uh, are you really that fast that the dust kicks up and because you're a faster runner you're a young gun yeah, so I'm 27 years old, uh, definitely one of the younger people in this sport, um, and I don't really know where it came from. I think they were we were looking for uh, nicknames to kind of boost team morale, and uh, <laughs> I think the Texas Tornado was self-proclaimed. Um, compared to other young guns in this sport, I think that it's not so much about my speed, and probably more about just the fact that um, when I'm out there, you know what, like, we're going to tear it up. <laughs> and um, sometimes, like, I may just blow out my quads and it could be a terrible time for me. Um, but, yeah, I think just Texas tornadoes seem to stick. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift things up a little bit. I want to explore some of your background before talking about bad water because i don't think many of the listeners have heard a story similar i mean i i have to hear more about your upbringing and just your background to kind of like lay the foundation to your whole story here yeah uh my upbringing in in kind of like san antonio and yeah yeah take us way back <laughs> Well, um, so I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Um, you know, I had a single mother and, you know, a brother who basically lived um, with my grandmother and grandfather, um, which is not uncommon where we grew up. Um, it was really the kind of Mexican-American part of town, um, you know, although Segregation had, had long passed economically. A lot of people uh, in the Mexican-American community still lived where they had for, for generations. And so uh, we grew up in a small house and, uh, you know, all the kind of basic things of uh, where finances are tight, you know, to where yeah. lights are, are going out um, pretty frequently. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for our water to get turned off. 
Um, we laugh about it now to where we would be all huddled together as a roaches would be like flying across the middle of, uh, of the living room. Um, you know, and just going down the list is there was a lot of things that at the time, you know, we didn't really think different because I didn't know any better. But looking back, um, I think they made our entire family more resilient, um, you know, and, and we look back at it favorably, uh, knowing that we came out uh, out of it a lot better and a lot tighter as, as a family. I mean, I we've had a lot of conversations after uh, crewing and pacing Badwater, but hearing some of those stories, honestly, of everything I've heard, those stuck with me more than anything. It just gives you such an awesome, like, character. I mean, <laughs> your mom must be an ultra-running spirit if there ever is one. Like, single single moms are probably the most under-respected professions, if you even want to call it that, in in the whole world. Like, it's just unbelievable. I mean... Yeah. Is she not like borderline ultra runner type personality? So it's funny in terms of personality. Absolutely. Um, I remember one time when she was out of work and what she did is just every day, you know, just having a all about her mindset of making sure to do the little things. You know what? I'm going to get dressed, you know, professionally, even though I don't have a place to go right now. Um, I'm going to be applying several places and just kind of seeing that resilience and comparing it to some of the challenges that I've had when I've been in a similar situation. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed by her. And, you know, in, in terms of her being that ultra spirit, um, one thing that we didn't mention is, you know, despite having economic uh, challenges, right, she's working two jobs and that's that's what we're getting. Um so really kind of seeing her do that to give us the opportunities that I've had to be able to go and be a first generation college graduate, um, to be able to go now across the world, right, for races and, and pursue ultra running. Um, I really credit a lot of that to her and, um, you know, giving me the type of mentality to be able to succeed in stuff like this. I mean, I was I was blown away because when we first started talking i mean if you had done an undergrad at yale i would have i would have not thought twice about it i mean you're very well spoken and it seems like education was at the forefront i mean was she pressing you to do well at in school or or where did that drive (laughs) come from because i i literally i saw you either running or sleeping, <laughs> eating, or reading a book. <laughs> yeah, um, that's pretty much my life, even when I'm not uh, crewing and pacing for one of the world's most difficult ultra marathons. <laughs> um, yeah, so school was always important. Um, we knew, like a lot of Mexican American households, we knew that that was an opportunity to, to a better life. Um, interestingly enough, she worked at a trade school, um, you know, helping people get kind of their nursing degrees or, you know, a um, cooling and air conditioning technician degrees. So I think her seeing that on a daily basis uh, inspired kind of a lot of 
how we valued education in my household. Um, but it was a mix of both. You know, she never was one of those parents that, you know, got mad at me or something like that for having a B. Uh, she really kind of let me be myself. And it was a combination of that drive from within that still continues to guide me. And her just saying, hey, whatever you need, um, my, my sons are never going to not have the resources to be successful. You know, so I can remember times where some of the teachers at her college um, are helping me with algebra homework in the staff lounge uh, because I'm having to wait for her to get off school. So, um, yeah, being around education my whole life definitely helped me and to, to get to where I'm at today. I mean, I've, I, I've been impacted the same exact way. I mean, our age, educational backgrounds are, are probably vastly different for a variety of reasons, but man, education's the foundation of everything. And I just, I distinctly remember my dad saying, people can take away everything from you, but they can't take away like what's in your head. Like your education can't be taken away. They can take away everything like you know different parts of society throughout different times like you can be stripped of everything but you know your education is going to be with you forever um it seems like we have a very common bond with that being like a foundational element i mean tell me more about you getting into running you're a quicker runner uh were you were you focused on the track initially or or tell me how that started so when I first started, um, I like any good Texas boy, I was really a football fan. Um, I would go to the Dallas Cowboys training camp every year. I was a pretty good uh, wide receiver and safety back in the day, um, despite having a leaner build. Um, I can see you being a wide receiver for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So I was in you know some football magazines kind of my first few years of high school Um yeah, and, and I was quick. So football, basketball, and track were my sports. I never thought about distance running seriously as I got older. Um, my brother, it's worth noting, was a state champion in the 800 meter. Uh, he ran track at Texas State. Um, wow. and my dad. Yeah, so a lot to live up to. And maybe that's why I didn't go into distance um, initially. Um, my dad the way him and my stepmother met um, one of the first times where they're dating, he's running 15, 20 miles um, in South Texas and she's riding uh, her bike next to him. Um, So distance had been in my family, but I didn't really pursue it initially. Um, And yeah, I did hurdles actually is what I excelled at. Um, I was coming in, you know, first, second in our school district Um, and I loved them and I thought that, um, I would potentially do them in college and, you know, my grades gave me a better opportunity, but I have a a really weird path to where I started out doing sprints and hurdles and somehow transitioned to 100, uh, mile ultra marathons. (laughs) Hey, I've already made a movie on this topic. Don't, don't go down the sub four tunnel. Um, Tell me more about this track background. I mean, you're, are you like throughout high school? Yeah. Doing it? 
Yeah, so um, I started track really as early as um, I could that my school allowed me to. Uh, I mean, even before that, um, you know, I did my dad. Well, my mom was like the key part of really who I am today. My dad is certainly a part of that, too. Um, you know, they've been split since I was born, but um, I would a lot of times go running around his shop, his automotive shop. And that was just a way that I'd spend time um, at recess. I'd be kind of running around the playground um, when I wasn't playing with my friends. And I think just running, looking back was a way to allow me to maybe process and cope with a lot of the crazy things that were going on um, in my family and my, in my life. And it just kind of quite frankly kept me out of trouble. So um, starting in middle school, I had a, a great hurdle coach that saw me as a, a tall, lanky kid. And uh, he pulled me over and I started running hurdles, 110s, uh, 300 meters. And I, I, you know, was winning gold, was winning silver in a lot of those races. Um, and yeah, when I, I kept doing that until high school, when I went to a public school, um, for the first time, and then I was competing against, you know, some of the best kids in, in San Antonio and I was holding my own. So unfortunately, you know, I wasn't fast enough to, to do that at the division one level in, um, in college, but it was definitely something that I was passionate about. Um, and Interestingly enough, Rob, like kind of ending here on, on this, I didn't run, I didn't run track my senior year. Um, I was a little burnt out from it all. I had lost that joy and it would be three years until I picked it up. And when I picked it up again, it was looked drastically different than I had ever seen. That's fascinating. I mean, uh, me personally, I was winter sport was hockey like anytime there wasn't snow, I was golfing. And ironically <laughs> enough, when I moved to Florida, I burnt out on golf, which I had sort of a layup opportunity for a scholarship. And, and honestly, I was a better hockey player, but I got burnt out on that sport too. So just like you, uh, senior year of high school, I, I wasn't playing any sports, um, which is just, still kind of shocking to me like looking back um on on every everything i had had done throughout time um but maybe that's why we're still athletes you know absolutely like, uh mm. college can really burn people out like they'll never touch that sport again the rest of their life i mean when <laughs> when did you finally pick the sport back up yeah, it was my sophomore year in college, and uh, it we'll kind of go into that. But it, it's funny that you mentioned that. While I was in school, I remember several people on the track team who would see how I was working out and who I was friends with, um, and they're like, "Man, I I think you are more passionate and you you know love running more than I do, and I'm on scholarship." Um, so. Yeah, I, I picked it up my sophomore year, um, right? No one was paying me to do it. Um, and I did, wasn't really sure how it was going to fit in with me. I was still working part-time um, through college, helping, you know, pay my way through. Um, what were you doing? 
by the way? Yeah, I basically I kept my job as a valet um, in San Antonio. So they allowed me to work on call whenever I, I needed to cool. get some extra money. And I, I would do that. And there were just kind of various things that I would do. I had a brief gig with like a party bus company to where they were giving me a percentage of of money to help drive attendance to those. So, um, yeah, just trying to, to find ways to, to, to have food on the table. I love uh, the humble story. I mean, you're going to look back when you're governor or whatever your next gig is in a decade. And I, I, I just love those stories. So <laughs> thank you for sharing those because, yeah. I mean, those are those are real. Yeah. But, yeah, so I picked it up sophomore year. Um, you know, one of the things that inspired it uh, was – Kind of like most runners is I had a, a strong why. Um, at that time, I looked back for the first time in my life and all the people I had grown up playing sports with, um, a lot of them ended up, you know, being able to compete in college and, and doing that same sport on scholarship. Um, you know, while I went to a great university at the University of Te- uh, Texas A&M, uh, I felt like Looking back to where I kind of started in freshman year, sophomore year, and some of the letters that I was receiving, you know, from Duke, from Yale, um, how I didn't achieve what I thought I was capable of. And I I was drinking a lot, um, you know, as part of a fraternity. Those things happen. But I think also just being a first generation student, you you get hit with a lot at one time. And so kind of going through a depression um, that year, and I read a, a magazine article talking about ultra marathons and how you know people were were doing them, and I was like, "What the hell is this? Like, never even heard of it." <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, kind of going back to Badwater, like one of the first videos that I watch on YouTube is people running on this little white line in the middle of the desert. Um, you know, with their friends and family spraying water on them. And uh, yeah, just thinking, wow, like that's crazy. Well, I'm here in College Station, Texas. I'll I'll never do that. But I'd like to, you know, maybe toss my hand at a, a small 50 mile or a 50K. We'll see. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, you know, down the line, um, essentially all the things that I thought were so far off and things that I would never be a part of. I'm uh, there on the front lines, intimately experiencing. So, I mean, it, that was just an epic experience. Like we, we literally, I think we together could probably write a book just on our experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so what's what's going on with distance? Like, is do you do an ultra before you graduate college? Oh yeah. <laughs> so sophomore year, um, I find the, the nearest ultra that, that I'm interested in and it's out in West Texas. Um, it's called the big bend 50 or the Buena Suerte 50, um, which means good luck, uh, a very fitting term. And so my sophomore year, I, I find it on the list. Keep in mind, like uh, my legs had not been trained for that. Um, I didn't even know how to train. All I had was a, in terms of gear, I'm using all the wrong gear. I have like a camelback. Um, I have 
road shoes i'm pretty sure that i'm running out in um you know ch anti-chafing gel doesn't even register the the shorts um i don't understand why everyone wears such short shorts and so a lot of things were were brand new to me and uh yeah so i train about six months twice a day uh for that and um waking up in the morning lifting weights in the evening um getting some combination of of cardio it could be at the gym doing a stationary bike or or running and I read somewhere that your mileage needs to be half of at least half of whatever the race is. And so I walk like into it like your weekly or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I walk into my first 50 miler, I think running maybe 20 or 25 miles a week, um, which I, I would advise doing more than that. It's enough first. to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so. And that I realized that whenever I got to the race, but you know, just again, like not knowing what I'm doing, I'm doing all these Rocky style workouts, like <laughs> to just like toughen myself up. Um, and yeah, but anyways, I do it and it's a, a really good story out at big bend, um, that we could definitely go into. And, before I'm done, uh, really the highlight of running in college is my senior year, I run my first 100 miler. And that's where it, everything seemed to click for the first time in a race. Um, you know, I ran it in, in 21 hours, which looking back, um, I could do better at, at that particular race. But that race, you know, all my buddies came out to support me in the fraternity. I had some friends asking about it who were in business school with me teachers were asking you know oh let me see your medal let me see your medal so it was a really cool experience that i don't think many people ever get to experience in their life let alone doing it at 21 years of age um so yeah that's kind of my the journey 21 my... hours was your first hundred yeah, um, it was at Rocky Raccoon, so it, it was okay. really flat. Quicker, but... quicker race, but still, I mean, some people like myself will never do 100 miles below 24 hours, as of yet, by the way. Um, 21 hours is crazy fast. Like, did you feel like you had a, a knack for it? I mean, that's your first attempt interestingly enough yeah i somehow the 100 miler seemed to click better than the 50 miler and i had heard people say things that looking back i think are a little controversial um around oh you know a uh, ultras don't start until you get over 100k and stuff which i don't agree with but um i i understood what they meant by that is that the 50 miler was a completely different race than that hundred and going through the nighttime, having to really master you, your nutrition, having to uh, really plan your gear and your drop bags, you know, for weather, yeah, you know, orchestrating your, your crew to, to be on point. Like all of those things seem to be a lot more important in the hundred miler. And, and just lastly, like getting the, third, fourth wins um, throughout the race. I'll never forget we're in the last five miles and I'm running about 748 splits because um, I feel amazing. And 
my pacers are like, what the hell is going on right now? <laughs> um, you've run 95 miles. How is this happening? And I just kind of shrug. I'm not sure, but it is. And uh, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm an old codger at this point, but I, I mean, I'm of the mind frame 90% of a hundred miler is done before you hit the start line. Like, 100%. would you generally agree with that? Oh yeah. And, uh, again, training in college station, Texas, where you have cornfields as kind of your, your views, um, was oil, oil rigs, uh, to keep you company. Um, it was definitely different, but you contrast really in two years, that hundred first hundred mile experience to what my first 50 miler was. And I felt like an expert, um, it wasn't until I would get out to Colorado and moving out to Denver that I would then be again humbled um, by mountain running and have to learn an entirely new skill set. Um, but yeah, I mean, being able to to go into those races knowing, hey, I've done this before, and just how how great you can feel throughout training. Um, you know, running a 25 or a 30 mile run and saying, wow, I feel like I'm just getting warmed up um, was an amazing experience throughout leading up to that first hundred. I mean, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, what was your mileage like for your hundred miler that you did in your first one, 21 hours? So I, I couldn't tell you, mileage. I couldn't tell you uh, to be exact. So one thing that I, I do is especially early on, right? Remember, I'm a broke college student who is scrapping enough money to pay for food and for books and tuition, let alone ultra fees and the gear. So um, I, most people would say, well, what about your phone? Well, if you've ever run in Texas in the summer, you'll quickly understand why you don't run with a phone in your hand. So much sweat can get everywhere. Um, if I had to guess, I would probably say around lower 70s, to be honest, maybe lower 80s. Um, average, though, most of the time, I'd definitely above 50. Um, Good amount. It, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, think that's like kind of a sweet spot, honestly. Yeah, and it, it's so funny. The only way I knew that mileage is because I would run from College Station to Snook, which is this little small town where we have a, a country music festival out in the middle of nowhere every year. Uh, I would see the mile markers on the road and uh, I would know how, how far I'd gone. Um, you know, wow. and, uh, so no GPS or anything. <laughs> no, just, wow. just running out there uh, okay. on those country roads and stopping at gas stations if I needed to fill up for water. Um, very much a, a cyclist type uh training you sound like dean carnassus that's who you sound like <laughs> um i mean you're one of the few people that opened my eyes to the fact that there are people out there that you know that 50k entry fee or that that 100 mile entry fee is just too much and yeah. so there's this whole yeah. population of runners that just can't do races like they just can't afford it, it is the same thing um, to be said with like GPS watches and Strava yeah. and that sort of thing. Cause I hadn't really thought about the entry fee aspect and 
if I ever put on a race, I'm giving away probably four spots for just underprivileged, amazing people that need to be doing that race. Like you really opened my eyes to that. That's, I mean, that's the thing is, is we look at the diversity in the sport, um, not just at the elite levels, right, at, at these big races like UTMB, but even at the local levels. Um, I think that most people are starting to recognize that. Um, but I, I add another dimension to that is a youth and age is a lot of people are like, oh, you know, young people, they're too busy partying and stuff like that. Um I know great people. Um, I met uh, Preston Cates out in um, Denver who did really well at, at uh, Lake Sonoma. I think he got second place. Um, you know, and knowing his background too of like how he's just getting into this and um, how we're just talking about, yeah, dude, it's expensive. Like the the shoes, the, um, you know, hiking poles, the shorts, the shirts, like sunglasses, like, it all adds up, and especially when there's mandatory kit requirements. I was lucky enough to have several people who were helping me out. Um, people at Berkeley Park Running Company in Denver, Colorado. Um, you know, Dion and Lucia sent some stuff over. Um, I had some people here with Under Armour in Austin helping out. So, yeah, it, it takes a village, and I look moving forward. Um, I would challenge all race directors to really reconsider that of, um, yes, volunteer spots, uh, you know, credits are amazing and help reduce the, the barriers to entry. Um, but for people like college students and, and young professionals who are just trying to get by uh, to start out with, there's a huge opportunity to extend this experience that that we all love and that we've been uh, so privileged to to continue down and and connect with people from all over the world, to extend that to young people and to, um, you know, people of color. I, I I couldn't agree more, and it's really fascinating. Like the volunteer aspect is amazing, and like I I love that aspect of the community. But at the same time, if you're really scraping by, like taking a whole Saturday is it's a minimum of 125 bucks you know like and that's a lot of that's yeah, an electricity bill or whatever <laughs> like like joke, it's great I'm like that's two weeks of food you know yeah, exactly, <laughs> like exactly exactly so like ah uh, like it's nice to be able to to help try to compensate for volunteers at a race but at the same time Man, if you're scraping by, that's like you said, that's two weeks of food. Like you can't do that to someone. That's yeah. it's and, too hard. Yeah, and I, I think that that's another thing to consider is just a lot of the races, especially in Texas, they're all over the place. You, when I started this seven years ago, we didn't have nearly the amount of runners, and we didn't have nearly the amount of races that I think that we're seeing today. And so, um, whether you're in Colorado or you know, California, wherever you're at. Um, just really considering that of maybe even providing opportunities to connect runners. Hey, who needs to carpool? We're going to have uh, uh, people leaving out of this area. That would be a huge help. Uh, and honestly, looking back, I, I probably would have volunteered at more races had 
things like that been been available? Yeah, especially with four dollar a gallon gas. Like, <laughs> good lord. Um, so, tell me about your first Colorado race. Like, you you graduate, I assume, yep. and and so you move to Denver, and you're just immediately humbled. Like, ninety five percent of the runners that move to Denver. Yeah. Uh, so. One of my, we'll get into my first race. One of the experiences I'll never forget is being at the Flatirons, me thinking uh, in in Boulder. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, I just did my first hundred miler. I'm in great shape. Um, You know, check me out world. And I get up there again, knowing nothing about mountain running, pacing, how to hydrate in the, you you lose different amount of water up there. Um, you know, you're burning calories differently. And so I'm up there and, and I think I'm, you know, doing bear mountain or something like that. And, um, meanwhile, there's a guy who's 65, probably 63, just cruising past me and just crushing it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're having to, you know, hike, like take these big steps over these big boulders. And I was like, wow, (laughs) you know, you are, man, you are here. And, uh, it's a lot different than Texas running. So that was my first eye-opening experience of, wow, you know, things are going to be different. And so as a young runner, you go through these constant balances of overconfidence and just kind of that youth arrogance, if you will, and being humbled and saying, hey, if you want to continue this, you really need to put in the work. And so my first run up there despite that experience was still that kind of arrogance. I think it was the Pikes Peak 50. And uh, yeah, I mean, just exposed race, really hot. I'm still at this point running with the, um, so I ran Rocky Raccoon with actually a water bottle in my hand because that's how I had trained. And the aid stations are so close that you can do that. So my first Pikes 50, I'm still running in a Camelback. And uh I quickly realized that that could not continue after that race. Um, it's chafing my back. I, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how much water I'm drinking. And once again, um, there was a, I like to call him an ultra geezer who was just cruising past me, just short shorts, you know, tan, you could tell had, had been doing this for about 30 years. And, uh, <laughs> Um, definitely a really difficult race, um, that, yeah, it it was so long ago that I'm trying to think back of the specifics. There was one mountain section that kicked my butt. Um, and I had some bad scars coming out of it because I, whenever I did try to run downhill, I wasn't used to switchbacks and ate it and actually fell off the trail at one point. (laughs) Um, so yeah. Yeah, Those, very, I mean that was that's probably the switchbacks like near the bottom. Yep, I'm yep, guessing yep. where you clip your toes, you can eat it into a like a face full of rocks. Yep, also. like a a boulder it's field. Kind of <laughs> dangerous, but it yeah, was. those those older guys they even call themselves geezers a lot of times. They love passing young guns. I'm sure. Oh yeah, um, and, yeah. <laughs> but you're you're. Uh, reminiscing on bear peak reminded me of my very first time being in boulder and going up 
I think it had snowed like the day before and I was trying to figure out why no one was out on the trails went up there and then spent like an hour basically <laughs> on my butt like going rock by rock and sliding down like an ice channel it was like an ice luge in a boulder field combined it was awful um, yeah. Yeah, but you, it was uh, humbling just probably similar to your humbling experience it's so funny when you don't grow up in the mountains, um, you see them as something to be conquered. You're like, oh man, I can't wait to be on top of it. You know, I did that. And when you're in the mountains, you hear it frequently from a lot of people is one, the mountains allow you to pass through. You have no, con- you realize how little you have control over um, while you're out there and how small that you are. So yeah, for me, um, you know, we mentioned Bear Mountain, um, South Boulder Peak, right? Of mm-hmm. being surrounded by like the fire scarred trees out there. Um, definitely hearing stories about people who, you know, actually had a friend who um, was summiting a 14er and uh, he passed away uh, about a year, year and a half ago. And really experienced guy. Um, you know, he had done 30 plus. And just the the elements changed really rapidly, and uh, he he passed away. So um, I think that also being out there is just gaining respect for nature, um, and I think that that kind of put me on the path that I'm on now, uh, doing what I'm doing with uh, my graduate degree. I mean, not to get overly personal, was that Paul by any chance? No. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it was buddy's name was Ben. Um, okay, yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm still affected by like going on group runs and then hearing about people after the fact, and it was like, I mean, specifically to Berkeley, just devastating. Like some of the nicest people, like the most charismatic people on a group run, and then after the fact you know six months later whatever like it's just totally devastating so i i feel for you on that i mean tell me and not to awkwardly segue to to berkeley but it seems like that had become part of your your trail running experience while you were in denver yeah Um, and even now there's um, there's a lot of charismatic characters at berkeley um, so, so share, share some of those with me. Yeah. So when, when I first got started, um, I, I was preparing for my first hundred miler, uh, the silver or my first mountain 100 silver heels, 100. Um, and I, I had heard great things about Berkeley, you know, the funky looking design on the side of the house. I'm like, wow, like this is a really cool crew and just the community that they were putting together, um, it, around the 2016, 2017 timeframe. And, uh, you know, I go into the shop, you know, Phil greets me and all the things you, you see, uh, a one, a wall of amazing runners. And we're talking about all these runner runs that I had, when I started out really thinking, wow, like these are, these are some of the most difficult races of the world, Western States, you know, hard rock. Um, we're talking about Leadville and really the iconic uh, races in, in the United States. So 
you know, he, he, we're sharing stories and I realized, wow, I'm really inexperienced and I'm getting started. And um, you could just tell how, how he cared about you as a runner, but like not in an artificial way of like, you know, hey, like you're you're going to need this <laughs> and really yeah. being like, wow, I, I never actually thought about that. So it started out as just, you know, hey, you guys are, are a really cool crew and I want to be a part of it. Uh, it's funny that my relationship has stayed strong with them despite moving down to Austin. Um, we didn't really have a, a big trail running and a uh, trail retail community down here. So I would still see them order, you know, have new gear drops. And I would say, Hey, you know, here's some Venmo. Um, here's some shipping costs. Can you send it to me? And so I'm down here, you know, wearing Berkeley park stuff. Um, because it's a, that's really cool. A really one, I want to support the shop anytime I can, but they were so instrumental in me continuing down this, this ultra journey and kind of guiding me. And I met great people through that. Um, you mentioned Dion Leonard and Lucia, who, who I believe have both been on the podcast, Junko, uh, who's been on the podcast, uh, Milan, with, like with Phil too. Yeah. Yeah. Like all, all of these great people who are doing amazing things, like 200 milers, you know, Junko having done Leadville at least like seven or eight times, um, you know, UTMB three times, all these like superheroes for me that are inspiring me to, to set the bar even higher. Um, it was, it's been an awesome experience. And, uh, one last thing that I think I, I didn't mention is, you know, Laura Cortez, um, she started this group called Trail Tinos uh, through a lot of the connections that she formed through Berkeley Park. And being able to go back to Denver, even though that I live thousands of miles away, and be able to get a, a group run, um, you know, with Phil or any of the other jackalopes is awesome. And knowing that I have that kind of community um, to, to really still tie into um, you know, d- despite not living there anymore, it still feels like home. That's really cool. I mean, Phil, Phil is a brilliant artist too. I, I don't oh, think yeah. many people <laughs> really, I mean, he like, he'll design a logo. He will, I especially saw it with Brittany Charbonneau cause, uh, they're, they're both brilliant artists, but he would, um, he'd take some of the North face shoes for Brittany and yeah. like custom draw on the sides of them. And it was just like, why is the North Face not doing that type of stuff on the side of their shoe? It just, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I am seriously humbled to have shown a few movies at that, at their old HQ. You know, like that, that was a clubhouse essentially. And, what a yeah. cool community that just continues and it's nationwide at this point as you're, you're proof of. Yeah. And um, I mean, last, like, right. Like last plug, uh, one, I, I love you guys if you're listening to this, but right. How it, how much of it's an institution. I think that living in Denver, being able to experience that to where you can be on the trails in Boulder and Sage candidate passes right by you. <laughs> like, um, you know, how they would do group runs and, you know, people like Courtney, you know, who are top ultra marathoners in the world are just like, what's up, dude? 
like just running right next to you. So, um, yeah, it just really cool community that they have going out there. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm, I'm truly, uh, very thankful. And so, I mean, let's, let's, um, let's go into like the segue to bad water. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, like how many, how many races transpired from you graduating, working, just gutting it out, working your way through college, getting the miles, throwing down great hundred mile race there at the end. And then moving to Denver. I mean, tell me more about like, you know, the one or two highlights from that experience and then how that all transpired into yeah. showing I, up in Las Vegas when it was still it, 110 degrees or whatever it was. It's, it's really, there's probably three events, um, two of which I'll probably go into in depth, but Silver Heels 100, my first mountain, like 100 miler and having everything just click there. Um, you know, I, ha- I, I got second in that race by two minutes. Um, my first time around at it, um, my second time around it, uh, I was on track to do, I think around 25, 26 hours and around like mile 87, um, wrong turn, Jim Walmsley style (laughs) and, uh, just heartbroken. And I ended up bowing out, I think around mile 87, which still gets me to this day. Oh, Um, that sucks. I mean, it's just like course not marked or what happened uh that particular section yeah it, it wasn't and oh, that sucks very much like an ultra uh spirit right of like it's your responsibility to know the course at all times and you take care of your own safety so i put that on me um but yeah at, at that point i think also not having a pacer um which interesting segue uh, was actually how I met Lucia and Dion Leonard, um, which have an amazing book, which I hope you guys all have read uh, around Finding Gobi. Um, now I, in Angel, 22 languages. Let's so I don't care where you're listening from. It's in your language for the most part. Anyways. <laughs> so I, I met them through Berkeley Park by um, crewing and volu- angel pacing at uh, Leadville. I would just drive out there and, you know, hey, whoever, I did that two years in a row because um, I knew that people were coming from all over the world. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just drove out there, was somehow connected to Lucia and ended up pacing her for, you know, 50 miles, essentially, um, the first time meeting her. Um, so that was a great experience. And I hope to run Leadville at some point, but it's really cool race. Yeah. Have, it's have hard, you, man. Having experienced the, the back half several times, I'm excited to, to do the front half. Um, picking up people after Hope's Pass. Um, Tell which, me about that. That that just oh, uh, brought back a really nice memory. Yeah. Um, well, so you, you picked up people in, in this year. You couldn't do that, I don't believe. No. I think I, you could only pick up people um, right around – the 100k mark but it, historically it's been the 50 mile mark correct yeah around twin lakes is where i would pick people up and uh and we'd start climbing again <laughs> so um yeah i i was just there and i mean everyone who comes by whether so my first time i did it 
I think I picked up the, a guy who um, ended up finishing 20th overall. Um, so I was like, oh my God, the first guy came three hours ago or something like that. And I'm like, okay, I think it's time. Not actually knowing how many runners had passed. And I realized at that time that it was still way too early to pick up a pacer. Um, but he was he was destroyed and really having to motivate him the same way that I did uh, Lucia. Um, yeah, it was really inspiring because you see people at their at their lowest and having to kind of bring them up with a total stranger uh, was always a fun way to, to spend my time out there. I mean, you're not going to talk about his pace at all. Uh, we, we <laughs> were the, running. <laughs> there's the one guy that almost destroyed you, right? Yeah, no, we were running probably around like upper eights, lower nines, hands down. Um, and I think, yeah, around 35, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's gonna... miles of that at 10,200 plus. Like, I'm like, oh this guy God. is going to drop me and <laughs> I'm going to be in the middle of nowhere. And they're going to ask, you know, what's your number? And I'm going to have to explain that I'm a pacer. It was really stupid. (laughs) So, yeah, that was uh, that was really interesting. Um, And and something that I haven't thought about in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I just I thought that was like just classic. Like, I think a lot of people underestimate that race until they're actually there. Yeah, it's just the lack of oxygen. If anything, it's just oh man. If you're not acclimated a hundred percent, yeah, you yeah. you go fifteen seconds below what's a comfortable pace, and like you're throwing up on the side of the trail. Basically, it's it's unreal. So, in really quick, how is pacing uh, Lucia? Like, was that fun? I'm I'm gonna try to help her get her. Uh, Triple Moab, Moab 240 and yeah, yeah. Not, not triple anymore because of ah, damn yeah. mountain lion. <laughs> I'm Ethan Wayne, director of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. And I'm Molly, the race director for the John Wayne Grit Series. My father, John Wayne, asked my family and I to use his name to help find a cure for cancer. So we started the Grit Series. It's a series of 5Ks, 10Ks, and half marathons that take place in the most beautiful and rugged landscapes across the Southwest, including places where John Wayne shot some of his most famous movies. That's right. And all the race proceeds go towards cancer research and prevention programs. We're asking you to join us and bring your courage, strength, and grit to the fight against cancer. For more information on a race near you, visit us at johnwayne.org. That's johnwayne.org. Stay dusty. Big thank you to Exoskin. So they have a new t-shirt. It's 100% cotton, two colors, black and neon green with white logo on the front. And a hashtag show us your skin and at Exoskin USA on the back. They are $26.50 each without a discount available but still just really appreciate their support. So check out the show links um, for that link to Exoskin. Also, big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, the founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which... In this era of, of 
sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there. It's just comforting knowing um, this this is a a good, honest company and um, it it cares about the ultra running community. It cares about the trails and in the national parks and state parks. I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems and they, they definitely support, you know, some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts. <laughs> yeah. She's getting after it in the 200 milers this, uh, this year. Um, so it, it was amazing. Um, I think she, her opinion would be a little bit different. One of the things that she would probably remember was my terrible playlist. Um, again, you're, you're meeting a total stranger from across the world. And so, uh, you know, but also if anyone's paced, right, you, you start getting into things that you would never have imagined talking about four hours, five hours prior. Um, you know, so I, when I, I met Dion, um, it felt like I ha- I knew him and, you know, I knew how they had, had gotten married and their whole story. And, um, yeah, it, it almost felt like when I was reading the book that the, I had seen the outline and that the inside of that was finally being colored in. So, um, going up, uh, up hopes, I'm trying to figure out where there was a, a really difficult section that I, with Lucia, I may have picked her up at, um, the one before twin lakes now that I think about it, but just seeing her like, was it Winfield? I think at Winfield, it may have been at Winfield 50 mile marker. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I mean, just having right going, Lucia's a fast runner. She's a strong runner. Um, but also like contrasting that to my like 20th overall the year before of just figuring out how to, to pace differently and how to support someone, um, you know, and how far to push them was a, a really experience that that I had to learn kind of on the fly. I mean, we'll see. We'll see come Moab. I don't want to be dropped <laughs> during the 200. That would be really bad, but... her She will get a, a strong weird, wind out of nowhere. Um, things have happened. Interestingly enough, Rob, at the end of when she's finishing, one of her motivating things, because she hadn't done UTMB yet, was utmb's song and when we're coming up the final stretch i'm playing that song for her and knowing kind of the full circle of how that kind of how they were instrumental in helping me prepare for my utmb journey um was a a really kind of storybook moment that's amazing i'm gonna have to download that good call on that front um (laughs) I mean, so did you do one last kind of like notable yeah. race before um, the year D- Dion gave you the the nod on on helping so, him with his dream race? Anyone who looks at my ultra sign up, um, which I highly encourage you not to do, uh, will yeah, will don't see look at mine either, please. That I don't have as many races as probably a lot of people in this sport do, and. It's a combination of personal preference, just, again, being 27 years old and trying to live a, a normal life um, of, you know, balancing dating, career, school, and and all that. Um, but also early on, right, 
that financial aspect, it really has only been the past two or three years to where I can be a little bit more financially comfortable signing up for races. So the Euro 50 was my last true um, mountain race. I, I want to say maybe before UTMB, I, I had done a lot of, uh, and that was a few years ago. So I had done a lot of training races. We mentioned Hope's Pass. I spent a few weeks out there just running repeats out there, Mount Morrison in Denver. But the Euro 50 is where I met Junko. Um, and yeah, I that roughly is UTMB cut in half um, in terms of elevation and in terms of distance. And I got my butt kicked out there. Um, so ultimately, whenever I got to Badwater, knowing that in terms of the mountain profile, I was still kind of confident that I would be capable of doing that. In terms of the heat, you have no way of preparing for that, to be completely honest, um, even as someone who lives in a place where it's 101 degree temperatures. Uh, and yeah, I luckily I knew that I was going to have other people like yourself in the van. <laughs> and I was going to have uh, people like Joe, people like Lucia. And I was like, all right, worst case scenario, I'm not going to have to do too much mileage at once. What I didn't account for was that even two miles out in that heat will exhaust you. Um, and that it, it's a full-time effort being trapped in, in a van, essentially, having to listen to the music, the jazz musical styling. <laughs> <The> show picks up. <laughs> Of, uh, yeah, of, of whoever is driving at that point. Um, You're so, such a politician. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, you're all stinky, you know, you're, you're all hungry and you're, you're stopping every single mile. That is a, a crewing and a pacing experience unlike any other race I've ever been a part of. So um, what's really interesting is I meant, I met, junko on i think it was quad rock 50 and it was like some climb she was in front of me she had pulled over to the side and was like redoing her pack and just like you could tell she's struggling a little bit but everyone was struggling and then so we we climbed together to the top of this peak and then you dropped down i've never seen uh someone do that like i got totally dropped on that descent and junko's how i don't even know how old she is she's timeless but she freaking dropped me like uh i was just it was like my first downhill run it was really fascinating for Um, everyone listening i i think one of my top moments of her is seeing her summit Mont Blanc several days, two or three days after she had done the UTMB course, um, constantly raising the the bar of what I think it means to be tough and strong. So she's phenomenal. And yeah, uh, I I can't speak more highly of her and then Berkeley, but yeah, let's talk bad water. I mean, I was tempted to do a whole episode on like crewing and pacing bad water because not many people have talked about it, or at least that I've listened to. Um, I mean, going into it, and there's going to be a whole film 
and you're you're listening to someone that's going to be a big part of this film i mean what what were kind of like pre preconceived notions going in and then like how things play out for you and i'll throw in some humbling updates throughout your your commentary um <sighs> and then you're welcome to you know humble me <laughs> which there's plenty of times for that too so. yeah um I mean, right, going back to the constant balance of, of confidence in your abilities and overconfidence. And I think, you know, you're like, oh, it's going to be hot. But you have no way of, of really knowing how hot it is and how that heat's going to affect you. Um, I I think in terms of gear, right, I I did my best from what I had seen. But you're thinking, again, I'm, I'm only going to be out there for a few minutes at a time. It, it's not going to be too bad. Um, so going into it, I, I really thought, I'm like, you know what? Like, we got a, a team together. It's it's going to be all right, man. Like, ah, yeah, it's going to be difficult. You're going to be out there a, a long time. Yes, the mileage, but, you know, you sleep in cars all the time. You can sleep anywhere. Um, you know, you you run, you're, I'm in UTMB shape. Like, I'll be all right. And getting out there, um, w- I mean, just right. Being surrounded, like feeling like you're walking into uh, Mars the heat that comes from <laughs> well, the heat that comes from an oven, yeah. right? If you're just like, whoa, like I need to, to step away from that. Um, you're really asking yourself, you're like, I, this guy's going to do 135 miles. I don't know how I'm going to do five. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that that was my initial kind of moment that I realized, Hey, like you need to be helping somebody, but also at the same point, like over communicate if you feel like you're pushing yourself because there's still a long race ahead of yourself. It's the first time I had ever felt, um, as responsible for the outcome of a race, um, you know, as the runner themselves. I just, I very succinctly remember, we were like, I think we had gone out for uh, lunch or something together. Uh, and we had checked into the hotel room and walking through the parking lot. And it was like 121 degrees, I think is where it was. Or maybe it was 114. I, I forget. Um, I just remember my my arms feeling like they're being like singed. Just... Uh- just within like two minutes of going from where we just had lunch to going back to the hotel room and just being like, wow, like this is no joke. That was two minutes and uh, we're going to spend maybe 30 plus hours out in this. Like I just, I was having my, I was having trouble like wrapping my mind around everything until actually experiencing it myself yeah just breathing was was so much more difficult you have your body's having to work harder uh your heart rate is elevated and like you're saying of just walking to from the hotel to kind of where the the race uh headquarters are um you're like wow you know you really gain an appreciation for what people are putting themselves through um that so a totally different challenge and one thing that I don't know if you've talked about, but 
really being out there, you gain appreciation for how mountainous that course is. One of my high moments with, with Dion is the sun's going down and, you know, we had just gotten essentially out of a, a, a valley and we're at one of the high points in the course and uh, just seeing all the mountains and uh, surrounding us, it was gorgeous. And I think that in a lot of the Badwater documentaries and discussions I've heard, people really only highlight the highway and, and the cars. They're not really yeah. showing how beautiful the landscape is um all around you yeah the the beauty and then also like people hear that you go up whitney but they don't really i i don't think they piece that together in their head a lot of the docks just show like vast majority is just bad water basin type stuff especially those early films where that was like yeah. the start whereas during daylight for the most part um I think that was one of the big takeaways Dion had was just like how beautiful that area is. Like you think it's just like a desert wasteland, but it's stunningly beautiful. I was blown away at the sand dunes. I was not expecting to see that. Um, But I mean, what's one or two more kind of takeaways from pacing the actual (laughs) event? I mean, I was trying to do everything all at once. So staying organized, that was the, the, one of the challenges, right? Of he, you, when you're out in a regular course, you have the luxury of having an aid station. You can pick and choose, right? It's all organized. Um, You have your crew, everything laid out when you're in the van and you're, Oh, you know, where, where his socks, where his socks, and all right, cool. The pretzels or, you know, whatever just got thrown over there. Um, and so you're saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we have, a, you know, however fast the runner's running, um, you know, let's call it less than 15 minutes to get ready until we see them again um, to and have have whatever they need organized. And the rules are so strict, right, that. Uh, you don't really have a lot of ability to communicate your, with your runner outside of when they're at your, at your van. So I think the organization and, and just the structure of the race, um, the amount of internet, that was my first kind of international experience. Leadville, yes, but um, seeing people from, from Mexico that we, we mentioned, people seeing people come from, um, I, I think there were people from China, like from all over the world, really coming for this. Um, that was pretty special. I think Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a bunch, and this was like a COVID year, which mm-hmm. I mean, normally there's like probably at least ten other countries that are there. Uh, but my my only my only quick mention, and again, I'm trying to put together. <laughs> A film on this which oh if looking back that was the greatest idea but we got it done um was was you um having a, a few issues a few oh yeah <laughs> troubles early it was pretty early but you know reviewing the film and i still have to review it another 10 times but there was that segment after we dropped down and i was fortunate enough to do 
I want to say like three miles of a drop down and we were doing pretty quick miles down. And then I switched up, I think with you. And that's like the point where that's the hottest point of the entire race. (laughs) It was right before, it was right before that, that jet flew over our heads, like probably 150 feet above us. But it was 120 and you're running, I think you did like two or three miles and then Lucia picked Dion up for four miles. Yeah, and, and Both because, you guys got freaking destroyed. Well, yeah, what you're saying, it's, it's a team, right? And in that moment when I felt like, hey, like I, I got destroyed in this section, I put Lucia at a disadvantage because now she's having to essentially carry for me. And yeah, I mean, one of the visual things I'll I'll never forget of seeing like the valley bed cracked because the heat is so hot. You know, the it's what you imagine when you imagine the desert of like the tarantula crawling and, you know, you have the Joshua tree and just nothing but heat radiating off of this surface. Um, That was super humbling of, of getting back down to the the gas station and me not being sure if it was calories was it water was it training at that point you know you're like hey like maybe i'm not as good of shape as as i thought i was um definitely really concerning and uh i yeah you you can't mention bad water without mentioning just how when one person goes down another one has to stop up and you're all operating together as one unit Rob, if you're looking for a name for the film, may I suggest Ice Ice Baby uh, for the <laughs> amount of ice that we went through the entire time that we're out there. Do you remember how many – I mean, we bought <laughs> – we almost bought out, like, the entire ice section, at least for one or two stops. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was amazing. What's weird is that that memory for you of seeing the cracked grounds and whatnot – I my distinct memory is going to the back of the car because you're you're running. Yeah. Lucia's, I think she's right there, kind of in the mix. Um, Joe's driving, Dion's running, and the tailpipe of the car was really close to my right leg, and it's so it's 121 degrees outside. And we popped the trunk like we did every mile or two. That that car was running so freaking hot. I've never had an exhaust pipe where I felt like my skin might melt from coming that close. Like that exhaust pipe was probably running 150 degrees. Yeah, I mean the car, I, I, that's a fun memory too. The car didn't stop for 31 hours. Um, you know, the brakes that are constantly being touched the entire, uh, uh, race, especially, you know, a little bit more frequently if, if certain people are driving Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one thing of like, I, you had heard runners of who had had car issues out there. So summing up my experience at Badwater is just, to have a to finish the race, let alone have a good day, everything has to go right. Your crew has to have things essentially not go too bad. Your car has to be good. 
you're that it's not even mentioning your own race right the weather um we were told oh it was a mild year where it's 121 degrees that's a mild year um yeah just a lot of things that that can go wrong out there and i, I think that's really ultra in a, in a nutshell is why we do it is hey in life there are a lot of things that are outside of our control um but we're we're gonna try and do what should be impossible yeah no i mean i think that race was unbelievable dion had kind of the performance of a lifetime honestly and i mean i think the the most fortunate part of that entire day was or days was he finished and then within like 10 minutes of us getting the car and like going down to the hotel smoke coming out smoke like we pull over like the the car brakes were like basically on fire like that was our big moment of fail and thank god Dion finished already because like we could just take our sweet time and like dump out all the ice and try to figure out the car situation it wasn't during the race and honestly i guarantee you almost every year there's a racer or two that has mass car malfunction that either ends their race or like totally messes things up so (laughs) we were very fortunate very very fortunate yeah, I I think that's a, another unique thing about that race is how it finishes on top of the mountain. Well, you know, essentially in the mountain after climbing it. And most races, your hotel is relatively nearby where you started the race or, or where you're going to finish it. But having to go down, you know, winding switchbacks in a car after you just finished, you know, 130, uh, you know, five, 36 miles um and and you know 30 or something plus hours is literally the last thing you want to do so i felt for him when we (laughs) he's still reeling from the end of the race and we had to stop there so i yeah that was that was uh not the highlight i don't believe i was filming (laughs) um that was rough that was rough we got it done um tell me about utmb i i wish we had spent more time on this topic but i want to hear about it i think um it was a big reason i reached out to you so i mean i wanted to hear about pacing kareem badwater and your running background and uh a lot of things that you just really brought home to me and and really um opened my eyes to like i i love those aspects and then I love the juxtaposition of you flying out to do one of one of the hardest hundred milers in the whole world, but then also like having the ability to fly out to this hard yeah. race, you know? Yeah, it was just a combination of a lot of things at the right time. Um, yeah, I mean, UTMB in, in one word, um, amazing, it, life-changing, right? Uh, we Going back to it of, because of the lottery system and, and working towards it with COVID, it was really a four-year process for me to, to get into. And so thinking about this race pretty much every day, every day when I, I wake up and every day when I go to sleep for four years and then finally getting to it, um, 
I, I still don't know how to, to really process that and to have felt relatively good uh, to, finish, to finish the race. We'll get to some things that didn't go so great, but um, being uh, abroad for a race is a, a, such a different experience of you're reminded that, hey, this is something that you've done. You know how to do this. Just one foot in front of the other. Like, this is what your training has been. This is what all the races you've done have led up to. You can, you'll be all right. Um, and and you say that, but right, you've never done that. this, I guess, uh, type of elevation profile. Um, and, and yeah, you, you have a lot of concerns. And so I, being... It, my initial kind of experience at the UTMB, like starting line is just a lot of culture shock of it's something you really don't think about is just the different languages. And uh, you understand that, hey, like the food options, even before your race are, are going to be different of what's available. Um, a lot of times you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not sure how jet lag is going to affect me. I've done my best to prepare for it, but um just a, a lot of unknowns but amidst those unknowns you have a, a almost kind of like um euphoric experience to where you see you know 2000 runners all just sitting down everyone's adrenaline kicking in everyone feeling good the music the clapping um everyone's really smiling um that was the start right kind of before the before we get going um, I, I'd kind of want to stop there and, and kind of check in and, uh, then we can kind of get throughout the race of like some highlights. I mean, how was the atmosphere regarding TDS? You know, you got, you have a runner that had to be evacuated. I'm sure that was yeah. kind of murmuring through in different yeah. languages. Yeah, was. Um, was it a, more of a sobering start line? I mean, I guess you, you had not done UTMB before or any other like European races so you don't really have a comparison but yeah. um, could you sense a little bit of consternation Anxiety. yeah yeah everyone everyone felt it um, I mean these things happen uh, unfortunately um, they I, it had been my first race where where something like that had happened and what was even more kind of concerning is we're all asking, you know, was the weather bad? You know, what happened? And, and they're like, I don't know. You know, they, they just, they fell. And uh, my initial thought, um, don't tell my mother, uh, to be honest. Uh, I told my brother, you know, hey, like, man, this happened. And uh, a little jarring, you know, but I'm all right. Um, I'm just going to, you know, if I feel like I'm I'm in danger out there, I'm going to take it easy and, and back off and, just remember that that my safety is the number one priority. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, throughout the race, I end up meeting a runner um, who actually was from the the area of China where those elite runners passed away. Um, and you know, you're reminded not only before the race but during the race, hey, like, be careful out here. Like, things can change very quickly. Um, and, and take care of yourself. So that those things are going through my mind. You're trying to appreciate the beauty and appreciate your body allowing you to do this. But at the same time, you're aware of the risk. Um, 
and you're having to constantly, you know, dial it back to, to respect the mountain and to respect kind of the, the risk involved. So. It's been an unprecedented, unprecedented year with that type of stuff. Like, I mean, between that horrible event in China, I mean, for me personally, during Leadman, someone during the bike race um, passed, and then hearing TDS, it's like, for me personally, I feel like, gosh, it's like all around me, like, what is yeah. going on right now? Like well, yeah. nearly yeah. 30 people in the past few months of like being a part of the, the ultra running community daily. Like, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. So, um, it's, it's super sobering, but yeah. And, and there was a moment, I mean, right. Like not skipping too far ahead, but there was a moment where I, I've been having hallucinations in the race for about eight hours straight. Um, and I'm there really at that point by myself, right? I flew out by myself. And so, um, you're dealing with stomach issues, you're dealing with, you know, headaches or whatever, as well as muscle pain. But then you, I can't even focus on the rocks, you know, two inches in front of my feet. And I'm not confident that where I'm placing my foot is a secure place to to be doing that. Um, I actually, for the first time in a race, I had to fall. I slept on the side of the trail because I knew that I was going to go up one last climb and I didn't know what it was dark. I wasn't sure what to experience. And, uh, I knew my mother would kill me if, uh, if I fell off a cliff. <laughs> so, I mean, um, let's yeah. not jump ahead, Yeah. but I will say if you're hallucinating trail naps, as long as it's not too cold out. That is the solution to hallucinations. Um, if there's one thing I've learned in doing four 200 milers. Um, so you, you start off the most epic. It's the Olympics of 100 milers, ultras. I mean, you see the helicopter, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, the announcers, maybe you understand what they're saying. Maybe you don't. But then everyone a bit keeps of, running. Yeah, exactly. You're you're looking to everyone else to kind of have confirmation. Oh, okay. Okay, this we is, can go now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, just communicating right with certain of the of the people of like, oh, you know, tailwind. You're like, ah, you don't have tailwind. Okay, I'll have whatever that milk looking stuff, uh, the electrolyte formula. So. Oh, that's goat milk. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He spits it out immediately. Um, all of that was was a lot. Um, and right, you're you're running and you're surrounded by people, but all that's one big shift is those people may not necessarily speak English, and so sometimes you're forming bonds with people just with kind of understandings of like, Hey, like we're working together now <laughs> and like no words get said. It's just, you understand what, what's going on. Um, at least that's what I told myself, you know, maybe I, I kept on following this person at their heels for 10 miles and they were trying to get rid of me the entire time. I'm not sure. They're trying to drop you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so how, how was the experience like for the first, cause the first cutoff I've heard is actually like, you got to stay focused <laughs> So you don't get cut, which so, doesn't make sense to most people because normally it's pretty generous. And then I also I have to hear about the um, 
just the activity with uh, the climbs and being speared, or are you spearing other people, or like yeah, people yeah, yeah. ducking because those hiking poles get dangerous. So apologies to any native French speakers who are listening to the pronunciation of the following things, but going down into Saint Gervais, uh, it was insane coming out of the going like the first uh start people are running eight minute miles and they're getting faster and i'm seeing people sweat like finally and i'm like okay like like three miles in they're like yeah (laughs) but at the time though you're saying wow you know for the first time anyone who's there is qualified so you're looking at their legs and like wow you know look how strong they are um and you're like, you know, they're all ex- just as experienced, if not more than me. And uh, when I saw them going out that fast, although I'm 27, right, I've been humbled enough to, to be contained and to, to pull back. And so I see all that going on and I just let it pass me. But you are all those self doubts that you had prior to the race are magnified in those first three miles because you're asking yourself, do I deserve to be here? And uh, luckily, I had a lot of experienced people that I I named earlier um, who had done this race before, who had guided me and said, hey, this is what it will be like. But going down the first drop, as you mentioned, at the first cutoff, people are, you would think, are are running a 10K. I mean, I'm, I'm talking... They're looking like Joe Joe Grant, um, you know, <laughs> just like running down. Their arms are flailing and stuff like that. And meanwhile, I'm stopping using my poles and my quads are on fire. Uh, and I'm like, wow, you better uh, you better slow down, buddy, because it is a long race. So um, the first cutoff was very much insane. Um what mile it, is that? Uh, let's see. We're at the first downhill. You're maybe at most 13 kilometers. <laughs> so you're not even like five miles in and people are just bombing downhill as if you're on a training run. And what, what is the cutoff? Like the very first uh, it. I'm looking at the course right now. So it says, it says midnight um, for the first cutoff. So... I believe we started my wave around six o'clock, so around five thirty maybe. So you have about seven hours to do um, thirty-one kilometers, which doesn't sound like uh, it sounds pretty generous. But when you consider everything that you have ahead and that you have a giant climb immediately after that cutoff, um, actually, I'm I'm sorry, Sandra is uh, ten o'clock. So you have roughly four hours to make it 21 kilometers um, in the mountains at the start of a really difficult race. Yeah, that's no joke. I mean, especially when you got all those those hiking poles all around you. Yeah. There's a lot of white spandex. Like, it's dangerous territory, you know? (laughs) So the spearing um, initially at the start of the race, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, you're meeting some eccentric characters. There was one guy who has a toothpick <laughs> in his mouth and he's talking to me, you know, with a, a German accent. Um, there's there's other people, you know, who what I, was he saying? What was he saying with his toothpick? Oh, he just, <laughs> he just what was he saying? He just, oh, yeah, you know, happy to be here. Like, oh, I'm just going to take a <laughs> slow. Like, 
you know, um, long race ahead. You know, oh, from America. Oh, you know, what's what's your name? And I started calling him Johnny Rocket because he he kept on picking up his pace. And uh, I'm like, you know what? Go ahead. And he's like, oh, no, I'll stick back here with you as if I'm the slow one. And so uh, I'm not sure if he, if he finished ahead or, or after me, but. Probably took like 20th. Yeah, Johnny Rocket to, to start off with. And, you know, um, yeah, just being surrounded by immediately you see someone from America or from, you know, an English speaking territory. Uh, you start in trying to, to form bonds with them. Um, so that was kind of my, my first experience. I didn't Im- get impaled, but I did actually I was the giver of an impale. Um, my, so I carried, I carried my, and I carried my hiking poles. Um, I think in the, the points were in the front, um, rookie mistake. And there ends up being a conga line where people just kind of compress. I have to stop and you don't have a way to really communicate. So all you know is, you know, uh, pardon pardon like i'm sorry um and you hope that they kind of forgive you and don't just think of you as a stupid american that shouldn't be at that race so i mean at least you're switching up languages i was just like oh shit i'm sorry like (laughs) i i grazed one person's shoe uh in front of me on like the very first climb because it was crazy packed crazy packed but even despite having i was very i was overly american on that one (laughs) despite having that many people i was really surprised by how the connections that you could form yeah um with people despite have you know having a huge field so several people i'm with for 12 15 18 hours throughout the race we're seeing each other and we're cheering each other on so that was great um you know, the first climbs, I, so I did the first around 50 miles in 15 hours, um, which looking back was entirely too fast. Um, but I mean, my my climbs from uh, Le Chapeau to Cormeor were strong. I, I was climbing really, really well. And I felt, you know, at least in my head, like I was looking like the Francoise of the world and... Um, in certain sections, I think I, I passed 150 or 200 people. So that was also a, a, another unique experience. Of that's, how, ta- that's mentally taxing. Yeah. I, right? You, well, you try not to think about that, right? Because it goes both ways. The amount of people that you can pass, but also that's the amount of people that can pass you. So really you try and stay focused on, on what you're, you know, on your race. Um and in, in some areas, especially during the nighttime, it's very it's nice having that amount of people nearby you. Um, but kind of the negatives is you have that many variables that could potentially throw your race off um, if you try and, and run a race that's not yours. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. And with those kind of races, I I find most of my injuries at least past year have been related to like other people on the trails as opposed to like the trail itself causing me issues. So it's like you said, a lot of variables. I mean, go ahead. 
I was saying one thing we didn't even mention. This was my first time abroad. <laughs> like, um, first time out of Texas. Well, or, or outside Colorado, North America. Okay. So yeah. I'm, so I'm messing with you, by the way. Sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, so Mexico can't. I've been to Toronto once, um, but outside of that, I had never been abroad. So to experience the mountains, the culture, the people, um, and yes, the food uh, like that was a insane experience. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So. That's really awesome. Uh, I, I give my wife a hard time. So, cause I, I don't think she's been to Europe yet. We need to get her out to Europe. Um, <laughs> but that, that's just a crazy thing in itself. I mean, so you're having a good race. It seems like, it seems like yeah. everything's going pretty <laughs> according to plan. You're, you're running a smart race. Like, yeah. uh, but you can run a smart race and the wheels still come off. Like what, what transpired when did at uh, least one of the wheels come off? Yeah, there's, there's a few, um, going down into Cormayor at, at around, uh, it's around 70 kilometers, I believe. So, um, around there, like it's a long descent and that descent just keeps going and going and going. And immediately after that, you start having some climbs and those climbs will kick your butt. Um, and so I think that that was just my experience is that things are going well, really into Cormayor and I, I take longer than what I had budgeted there. Um, you know, you're starting to see people sleeping on, on cots and it's in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know, people getting comfortable. They're saying, Oh, wow. You know, we have pasta here. We have all these luxuries. And uh, coming out of there, uh, you know, into, um, what is it, the, the refuge Berton mm-hmm. was was difficult. Of That instantly kicks your butt. Um, and yeah, those trails, like, I, yeah, I feel that, like there's kind of some ruts there. Like, you got to watch your your feet the entire time. The angle's hard. Yeah. So, I mean, coming out of out of Cormayor, and then if I'm remembering this correctly, you start having the the long kind of roadway, and you get into the the switchbacks, and you start seeing the people who went out way too fast. I may have been included in that, um, and people who have been budgeting um, their time and kind of waiting for this moment. And so, um, you know, getting up there to and that's really right. It's the daylight now. So you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing just how far you have to go for, for these climbs. And that is intimidating in and of itself. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of run down to Arnevo, um, really well and, uh, I'm feeling good again now that I have that. And then you have a climb, uh, up to Grand Col Ferret. And then that kicks my butt again. Uh, that's the first time to where I'm actually having to stop on the side of the trail and rest for 30, 30 seconds or, or more because the amount I'm traveling at this point, maybe 30 minutes per mile, which I've never done in my life. Um, and and you're saying, hey, like, is this what the rest of the race is going to feel like? And luckily it didn't, but 
you know, you're feeling nauseous at this point, you're tired and you're starting to get a little bit sleepy. Um, you know, and, and if you haven't banked enough calories and if you haven't taken care of your nutrition well up until this point, it shows. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's entirely exposed. You're, you're losing so much water and you're losing so much calories right there. And everyone's just working so hard and you're trying to not have your spirit be broken. Um, oh, and there's wind, uh, to top it all off, uh, essentially making it you is know, this, a lot more hard. Is this the climb before you drop into Switzerland? Uh, yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yep. that was a suffer fest during CCC, but let alone, uh, tagging on the extra 40 miles or whatever prior, um, so you're you're suffering there. I mean, when I assume it's probably uh, a little bit later when the hallucinations kick in. Yeah, like the I, real sketchy Champelac. That's okay. when. That's when. Uh, so I I had heard heard about it, seeing it. And you're like, wow, you know, I'm finally here. I've I've seen all these videos of elites pass through this place, and to me, that was one of the, the kind of hallmarks of, of this race of like, wow, you're, you're in this and you know, Hey, I have three more climbs left, which is exciting, but also heartbreaking. Um, because the da- certain downhill sections that you would normally be able to run, you're like, well, I, I can't get my legs to work. They're not doing it. And I had been by this point negotiating with myself for several hours to just even eat, uh, to, to continue going of saying, Hey, you can't leave here until you eat this rice crispy or this, uh, this bowl of soup or, you know, this sausage and cheese, uh, which is a, a staple at the UTMB aid stations. Um, and, and without a crew, right? Like my family, my brother, we go back to finances. <laughs> they wanted to be there. Um, but just schedules and, and finances, it, it's expensive. Not everyone can just take a week off and travel, you know, spend a thousand dollars and, and hotels totally. and all that. I mean, I, I personally got super, super lucky to have anyone help me during CCC, just totally randomly lucky. Um, were, were you able to pick up anyone to help you throughout the race? Uh, so the, the game plan was for Phil and, and for some of that other crew, the Berkeley crew to kind of help out. But what was happening is, um, I think that the other runners, uh, Junko and Milan, were going through some issues and the timing, anytime that they tried to meet me up, either I had just passed or, um, you know, essentially they had to go support them. So it didn't work out. And uh, no, I I was out there the entire race, um, essentially by myself and and with my drop back. So um, definitely it added to it. But I think it crossing that finish line, it gave me a lot more appreciation for, for what I did that day. So Champelac, I mean, you're, uh, it's a giant aid station, correct? Like that's, that's like a giant party tent. And then you're, you're exiting and you have the water on your left. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it's really late at night for you. Uh, it's starting to get darker. Uh, so okay. I think it's around five or 6 PM, which we're talking about hallucinations. We have some fun stories here, but that's where it starts. And that it's wild. Brutal. Yeah. And, and having, 
Johnny Rocket is there again, and he's like, "Oh, we're going, <laughs> we're going up there." And uh, yeah, he's he's telling me, I'm like, "Don't tell me that." And uh, you, we're having fun, but I I actually have to stop and reposition myself. One thing that you're constantly doing is trying to get your temperature right of you're stopping your body's cooling down and you're saying okay you know it's getting night maybe i need this and then you're doing another climb and your body's shooting back up and you're saying all right i need to scrap this so negotiating that while constantly you know making sure you're eating properly um was a, a really difficult challenge but the hallucinations i never experienced it at 5 p.m most of the time people think of getting them at midnight you know or, or beyond and you're experiencing it in the middle, essentially, of the evening, knowing that you have a full night ahead. It's so terrifying um, because you're you're saying, hey, if I'm experiencing this now, what is it going to be like 12 hours from now? And um, several times I imagined a bear sitting on a stump. And uh, these are actually what I'm seeing is seeing it enclosed in a, a screened in patio. And he's just having dinner there. And <laughs> I, he, I know, what's he eating, by the way? I, I couldn't tell. Maybe some eggs, I'm not sure. But he's sitting on a stump, like upright, like very gentlemanly. And it's a screened in patio. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Is he a fork uh, or no fork? Uh, yeah, no, there is there is silverware. Um, <laughs> but and, and seeing that image several times, like one, it gives you laughs, but also, again, you are terrified at what this means. And the entire time I'm kind of keeping myself, uh, you know, laughing and, and energized as I'm saying, I'm really glad that no one around me speaks English so that they could hear <laughs> what the hell is going on in my head. I mean, um, I'm, starting, I'm starting to wonder if we had like a, a beautiful mind, like Johnny Rocket, if he like in the end of the story. He didn't exist. Like, he's not- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't exist. You've been hallucinating time. from the start line. Um. <laughs> yeah, so that that was was real, and um, it, you gave me a, a bunch of Tailwind products, which were amazing. Uh, plug. Um, I, I think Dion did, but not. Ah, okay. I yeah. mean, I'm indifferent at this point. <laughs> Yeah, they they gave me some some stuff and I had uh, a bunch of caffeine of their packets that helped me, um, you know, through it when I, I finally poured them. But yeah, the that's the first round of hallucinations. I finally get my wind and kind of my wits about me. And then it's nighttime, um, you know, around Valorcine, we're getting ready to go back into France. We're in Switzerland and uh I'm picking up my pace. I'm running downhill really well again. Um, I'm feeling good. And then you're just hit with another climb. And it's at this point to where the sleep deprivation is starting to kick in. Um, I don't know, anywhere from about 27 hours, let's let's call it, is, is where I'm at right now. And, uh, you know, you're, you know that physically you are capable of running faster, but you're at that point, having traveled so far, not only in this race, but just to get to that race, right? The four years, the, the thousands of miles, to, both in training and in, in the flight, you're saying, hey, just don't get hurt. Don't just finish this race. And uh, I think that's where, where I was at. So that climb is brutal. Yeah. You look up 
in I say this over and over, but you can't tell if the stars or headlamps in yeah. unless you actually experience it. Uh, you might think I'm just like making it up or whatever, but you literally the you don't do mountain climbs like that very often. It's just yeah. bizarre, it's a bizarre experience to have a whole race. So, and then you're hallucinating during this too, which wow. What what really helped at that section is they start having like uh, um, aid stations before the aid station, and so uh, they have things that are helping you along, and they're saying you know X amount of kilometers. So at this point, my heart rate's shooting up. I'm checking my my watch every few seconds, and and knowing okay, all right, that you're, and and it's so it will destroy you because you're saying wow. It's been 20 minutes and I've only gone 0.5 miles um, and I still have, you know, two and a half more or, you know, whatever. Like that may be an exaggeration on time, but that's certainly what it felt like. And so at that point, you you just set really small goals of, hey, get get 0.1, get 0.25, get 0.5. And, uh, and it passes before you know it. And you best believe that everyone, as soon as they get to the top, they are looking back down, seeing just how far that they came and where the lights are coming from. And they have so much appreciation for the work that they put in. And they know the big effort that that is about to to come. Um, and that's a little intimidating. But, you know, the payoff at the end of, of saying, wow, you know, this race living in texas which we haven't talked about much and training for this race to me was was all the validation that i needed of understanding that when i moved back from denver and that you know it's about three years ago now that i could have and I, i really wanted to just put this mountain running thing down and i thought hey you know maybe it's a goal that that you're just not going to achieve right now at least in your life and uh there was a, another voice saying, you know, man, you've worked so hard to do this. You, you're passionate about it. Go after it. Don't let fear be that thing that stops you. And, and hell, if, if you don't do it, like, <laughs> so be it. And, and the entire flight over there, you're wondering, am I going to finish or are things going to go wrong? What about this, you know, pain that I have in my Achilles? What about this pain that I have in my, my hamstring? Um, oh, you know, my last hundred miler was years ago um i I don't know how i'm gonna do and when it just kind of all comes together and you say wow you know all of those repeats that i did in in the skyscraper here in austin um, with a weighted vest all of the gym exercises that i did with incline you know on the treadmill as high as it could go all the weight training exercises um you know, all of going out to places like Badwater, going out and doing mountain bike, uh, mountain, uh, mountain bike, like mountains here that we had in, in Austin, surrounding areas and doing repeats there, going out to West Texas in the El Paso mountains and training and, and last, like doing a training camp in Denver for two or three weeks before this race, like all of that was just fulfilling to just know that hey man and this is what it's all been working towards and that's why i was able to to be successful out there so so did the hallucinations subside 
Like, or were you? <laughs> I mean, because yeah, eight hours of that is just they get worse. Honestly, so, it, it sounds like a nightmare. I, like, I tried to push, and I'm like, horrible. I tried to push, and I'm like, you know what? Just just get to the finish. Just get. And I overestimated the amount of time it would take me. Um, like, oh, it's twelve miles. You know, like, it's twelve miles. Time. I can do that in two hours. <laughs> yeah, it's Easy. a long time. So, <laughs> I, I eventually come up on some English speaking people. Uh, it's a, I think about the second second to last aid station, and. Uh, at this point, the hallucinations are out of control. It's what I was mentioning of I can't even focus on a rock, and I'm not sure if I'm placing my foot in a safe position. Um, ran the most random stuff of, like, Elmo is the most street out of the Sesame Street characters. They're like, why did I even just think that? I don't know, but that is what is going on in my head right now. Um, you have no filter for what passes through your mind at that point. And... I had never experienced that to where I don't have control over my own mind. Um, and yeah, I, I, I tell one of the race, I go out of Trent, I think, or, or maybe somewhere, but I tell one of the race people, Hey, like, could I, I sleep in, in this little small tent that they have there? It's not an official aid station tent. I don't need anything. I just didn't want to be exposed. Um, and, and at that point, I'm not sure if I'm going to wake up. Um, right. I, it could be several hours. The race could be over. And what happened? I missed it. This could um, go a bunch of different ways. I mean, maybe this is someone's front lawn and that's actually their dog house. Like, exactly. Who knows what's right? going like, on. <laughs> and, and you add in the, the communication barriers and you're like, Oh, oh my God. Um, so yeah, at that point I, I lay on the side uh, of the trail. I pull out my, my um trail pants i pull out my my jacket and i'm just i'm using that as a blanket um i know that i can't continue going and be safe if if i'm doing that and i'm glad i did because the distance between where i slept and the next aid station was a long way and there were a lot of areas that i think were were potentially dangerous so i wake up out of the uh, out of the uh, um, hallucination days and slowly starting to get back to my normal self. I'm hiking really well. I was surprised that my legs didn't lock up, and that was a concern of hey, if you wake up, you know you're going to be stagnant for for all this time. What's it going to be like, and are you going to be able to move again? Um, but I knew that I couldn't move. W- couldn't keep moving forward if I didn't sleep. And so I'm hiking with this couple really well. I'm not yet ready to kind of go out on my own. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm not breathing hard. And the moment we get to the top, um, I start fast hiking. My ankles and my legs are still kind of a little wobbly. And I'm potentially rolling my ankle every, every now and then. So I'm staying nearby some people just in case something happens. Um, but as soon as we get to that last aid station, I take off and, and I'm running probably low nines, um, you know, low to mid nines downhill um, going down into to Chamonix. So. And how, how was it when you finally saw the finish line there? Was it was it the purple color? Was it daylight? Was it? Night yeah, time? no, they still had some purple. Um, the daylight was was starting to come up. It's early. It's five o'clock in the morning, maybe five thirty. 
Um, so right around sun, sunlight or daybreak, um, you, the feeling of crossing that line, I think a lot of runners will relate to this to where when you have a goal that you've been focused on for so long uh, in the race and just in, in general, like leading up to it, part of training, all you're focused on is just completing that, that task, right? You, you don't really, I think have time in, I'd like to think that you have this grand celebration, you know, of the champagne and you're jumping up and down and, and you're running from side to side, like Hayden Hawks, you know, clapping hands with everybody, but you have, a, I think for me, a singular focus on that. And after the moment, it, it still, I don't think has hit me of the significance of, wow, like what it took to, to stay the course all these years, but to finish that race. Um, and I, I felt like, one, I gave it my all, but also that I was capable of so much more. And I think that it's that type of fire and that desire that keeps us all doing this crazy sport, um, you know, trying to get that perfect race, whatever that looks like for, for us individually, um, to really kind of fulfill our potential, which is right. kind of how I started down this whole ultra running path of wanting to fulfill my potential in every aspect of my life. I love it. I mean, the pursuit of perfection and something that is impossible to perfect. Um, Most importantly, was the coffee shop open on the left of the finish line (laughs) with those donuts and It was. It was. um, So I, (laughs) I feel, I feel like Rocky. I'm stumbling around like a zombie. Phil, Phil is at the finish line. He's taking pictures. He's guiding me. Hey, come on, go get your finisher's jacket. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, finisher's jacket. Yeah, that's nice. And uh, (laughs) I, yeah, I'm not even thinking straight. And uh, he's asking me questions, and I don't know if it's a coherent sentence that I'm, I'm speaking back. And. I put, he's like, Oh, here, you know, here's your jacket here. Here's a beanie. And, uh, my, my beanie's like part over my eye. My hair's all disheveled. I can't eat. I'm so tired. I'm not, I've been nauseous like at this point for like 30 miles. Right. Cause I'm having to negotiate to, to just even eat. Um, so at that point, I, I think Phil gets me an orange juice and yeah, maybe a, a, a crepe. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, I just want American food at this point. I, I want a bagel. Um, and yeah, I mean, several hours later, I think I end up eating probably the biggest meal I've ever eaten after an ultra um, because I was out there for so many hours without real food. So. I just I just remember finishing and they're like, oh man, the pe- like the pizza place just closed like 15 minutes ago. I was like... No, (laughs) but the coffee shop's open and it it gets cold. Like we just went in there for like 45 minutes, just warm up. Um, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, I truly appreciate all those insights. I mean, we could have gone (laughs) like even deeper into that. I mean, it's nice that. Berkeley had kind of a crew out there to take care of their own because I mean after 
that distance, I've, I've literally, I've taken pictures of guys that finish the race and then just pass out like down the road on a park bench for like hours. Like it's, it's just a bizarre scene, like beautiful mountains. And then you have people that it's, yeah, it's unexplainable unless you've experienced it. One, one thing I'd, I'd like to kind of wrap up with, Rob, is I, the environment, right, of that race in particular. Of I, I got back to Austin, and I had my friends, family, people that I haven't even talked to in years who were saying, oh, we were having a watch party. We were watching you, you know, the entire time. Um, we were getting updates. You know, we were all cheering. We had pizza. We had it on the screen and stuff like that. We were seeing you come into the checkpoints, like, just that level of support, although like, I think it, it could be misconstrued that like, oh, I felt like I was alone. And like, I, I, I very much wasn't of like, I'm getting messages from Dion in the middle of the race saying, good job, mate. <laughs> um, I'm getting messages from, from everyone saying, wow, you know, you, you moved up X amount of spots. Um, so that, that was just a, a really, really cool experience. And, and just the, the community out there around racing of people stopping what they're doing mid-dinner to cheer runners coming in. Um, you know, and this is happening once every 10 minutes. It, 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 they're stopping. Everyone's acknowledging the effort that you're doing. Um, people are hiking out to the middle of nowhere to go support you when you're at your lowest. Um, really cool experience that I'm really happy to have done before I turn 30. I love it. I mean, um, we're, we're definitely going to stay in touch and We'll have you on a, another podcast episode in the future. Um, I want to end with one last question, and that is if you were you know, speaking to someone whose mom is working two jobs and maybe the water you know, isn't, isn't working this month or, or maybe the electricity last week just came back on, uh, and they love running and they, they've been inspired and, and they dream of UTMB. Like what words of wisdom would you share with, with someone, um, like that? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, <laughs> it's a big kind of a uh, responsibility, I guess, to, to answer that. Uh, but what I would say is, is some of the mantras of, of what we say in running all the time, right? Control what you can control. Um, you know, don't, don't worry about the, the, the dark points. Like there's always going to be for every low, there's, there's a high, right? And so step by step, um, you know, just, just keep focusing on putting one foot in front of the other. All of those like kind of cliche mantras are, are really true. And I think have guided me um, throughout my, my years of college and, and to kind of even get to that point, um, coming out of, of the kind of, you know, neighborhoods that, that we grew up in. Um, I, I'd say that if like your hard work is always going to be rewarded, don't compare yourself to others. Um, all of those things are, are my guiding principles and, uh, you know, kind of help me be the best that, that I can be. And I know that if I give something my all, 
usually you're going to be surprise yourself and, and you're probably going to be successful uh, in it. So keep your head up, you know, keep working, embrace these moments because there's beauty in them. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just be present and, you know, uh, love, love your community. <laughs> I love it. I mean, Aaron, thank you for taking so much of your time. Where can we follow you on Instagram yeah. and social and all that good stuff to uh, follow along as you continue to grow? Yeah, yeah. So um, you can follow me on Instagram at Aaron. That's spelled A-A-R-O-N-G-N-Z. Um, so that's my Instagram handle. I'm most active on there. Uh, in terms of Facebook, uh, also Aaron Ryan Gonzalez. Um, those are probably my two most active channels. Getting uh, you a link, tr- a link tree. I, they should sponsor my podcast at this point. Um, <laughs> Let's go. And, so, and I was holding off the AA Ron jokes. Like I, the whole time I held off. Oh, so I made it. I, that's how I, I introduce myself for people <laughs> who can't hear me. But, um, yeah, no, thank you for, for having me on and, uh, hopefully, um, you know, some people got some good things out of it and, um, yeah, I, there's a lot kind of more to talk around about, you know, running and, and activism and environmentalism. Um, but I think that runners, we have the capacity to change the world, um, while we're on the road to changing ourselves. So super excited to, to have met you and to have met all the, the wonderful people at UTMB and Badwater, uh, all the running journeys I've been blessed with over the past seven years. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Rob. Good one. And that was episode 193. Big thank you to Aaron for taking so much of his time. I did not want to stop that conversation. Like, and that is what it's like to be with Aaron. Um, you bond with people when you pace and crew something like Bad Water. And I was just truly inspired by what he's accomplished and I can't wait to see what he does in the future we'll have him on to co-host an episode so we'll see who he picks big thank you to you patreon supporters you guys make this all work I really enjoy the closed facebook group conversations you get sneak peeks before the episodes are released and those are without commercials and just generally we're putting together a patreon first hat so we're going to put together a trucker hat some other things so you guys already know but i just really appreciate you guys who make this all work big thank you again to exoskin tannery outdoors and the john wayne cancer foundation their grit series most importantly don't forget to enjoy your training see you soon